0: I'm Welcome to Root & Branch Church. It is Easter morning, April 4th, 2021. My name is Tim. The other voice you will hear today, besides God's, of course, is Virginia. A big thank you and shout out to all the musicians whose work you will hear throughout the service. Again, so glad you are with us as we are trying this new thing. And as is customary on Easter, let's get started by proclaiming together that Christ is risen. Listen today to this podcast or whatever you like to call it, our purpose is not to take us inward, deep through our ear canals and into our brains, but to be in touch with all our senses. So look around you as you listen, the faces of friends and strangers, smell things, whether you want to or not, maybe feel the ground beneath your feet. It's all a part of this. Take it all in. From the Gospel according to John chapter 20 verse 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. More than any other sci-fi idea out there, I have always been drawn to time travel. Of course I'd want to see a dinosaur in real life, or maybe find myself in Mars or one of Saturn's moons in the year 2100, but I think the real draw is that time travel allows us to break free of an absolute. The absolute that we are here in this moment right now, and no matter what we do, we will never be anywhere else. Death, too, with all its sci-fi fantasies, is like this. An absolute we wish to break free of. The boundedness of time and the immutability of death. These things go together. When you talk about one, you are in some way talking about the other. So we know the resurrection, the events of Easter Sunday, have something to say about death. But by this logic, I have been chasing doesn't it also say something about time while we may never know the answer to the grandfather paradox if you don't know what that is look it up or you're a nerd if you do the boundaries of time are perhaps less rigid than we first perceived them to be there is of course the mechanistic linear notion of time that we sense in our daily waking up and checking our schedules and looking at the clock But on a deeper level, a more holistic, human, even spiritual level, our sense of time is made up of the way that the past and future find themselves in the present. Time is this trinity, this convergence of what was and is and what will be. And if we take that to be true, then our place in time, even the past, is contingent, variable, and mutable. For example, Maybe we learn something about our past, say a fact about our family. Or gain some sort of historical knowledge of events, something we're hopefully doing all the time. Or reinterpret an experience that we thought we knew, like going to the therapist for the first time and being given new language for something we've always felt. When we have these sorts of epiphanies, the whole apparatus of where we've been, where we are now, and where we're going can shift, morph, and become new. I keep thinking about this idea and this moment of terrorizing racism against Asians in our country. In times like these, social media, or I should say my social media, is flooded with messages of solidarity, denouncements of violence, etc. And really, I, I don't really want to or enjoy having these thoughts, but I look at that stuff, and I can't help but think with a mixture of annoyance and rage, that none of these people knew anything or ever really cared to know anything about the anti-Asian history in the United States before this moment. This thought comes to me because, as many have said, Asians are an invisible minority. We exist to be ignored or to conveniently fit the narrative of the dominant racial conversation depending on who's doing the talking. This is so pervasive, it runs so deep that it is even true for many Asian Americans, like me, who have at times willfully avoided knowing about such things because, well, it didn't seem very important. And so I keep thinking about this idea because here in the terrible, real, literal union of time and death, I feel this screaming need for myself and others to go into the past for the sake of the future. There was a before all of this, a before the shooting in Atlanta, a before the latest outrageous attack on an elderly grandmother, and there was a before that, and a before that, and a before that. If we're not willing to do some time traveling, how will we know where we're headed? How will we have a say in where we're going?
1: We make our way over to the crowd that has formed. Standing there in the grassy median at California and 31st streets are about 50 people listening to someone give a speech. 13 trans women are currently being held here in the men's facility at Cook County Jail. Right here, the speaker gestures to the towering buildings that surround us. Our sisters are being harassed and attacked on a daily basis. Not only are they being stripped of their freedom, but by being here, life becomes a living hell. The crowd claps in support. We're late, so our little group finds our way to the back of the crowd and tries to catch up with the speech. The speaker continues. Nearly one in six transgender Americans and one in two Black transgender people have been to prison. Not to mention the trans women who are murdered day after day. I look around at the crowd nodding along to this speech. From the number of blue jean jackets, uneven haircuts, facial piercings, and pronoun pens, I'm pretty sure it's a mostly queer crowd. I feel immediately at home. These are my people, and I love them, and I'm so glad I get to feel at home with them, I think to myself. But the reason we're gathered here today is precisely to lament and rage at some people's lack of a home. No, systematic denial of a home. The speaker goes on. It's up to you all to fix this. You might not have known about these women yesterday, but now that you know their names, now that you know the pain that they are facing, the impossibility of their situation, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I look around at the crowd again, and notice that lots of people are holding long green leaves. Palm branches. It makes sense. Today is Palm Sunday, the day that Christians remember Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem the week of his crucifixion. The story tells us that as Jesus rode through the city gate on a donkey, the crowd regaled him by waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! A strange word. Might just sound like something you'd say at a church service. But really... It means something quite simple, quite relatable, quite desperate. Save us. Hosanna, save us. I think to myself. The speaker is doubling down on his point. So what are you gonna do about it? Save us, the crowd shouted at Jesus as he entered the city. Save us, Hosanna. Jesus marched on. He bravely entered the city. He encountered the authorities. He spoke truth to them. And yet, yet that brave path led to his death. The speaker continues his speech. I don't mean to scare you, I don't. But here's the thing. No one is going to save us but us. We are what we've got and we are one another's hope. I look around at the the clapping crowd. The speaker gets practical. You need to figure out how to send cash to the women in here. Find their commissary accounts and give them dollars. Find their legal funds and give them dollars. People pull out their phones, go for their Venmo apps, start sending money. The speaker finishes his speech and introduces some ballroom dancers. He has to explain to the mostly white crowd, no, not European, cotillion-style ballroom, no voguing nightclub drag-style ballroom. Ballroom invented by Black trans people ballroom. After his introduction, the dancers come out and they dance. They dance there fabulously, powerfully, sexily, defiantly. Right there in direct view of the watchtowers despite the cops all around amid the trash. Right there, At the beating heart of the carceral system, the physical embodiment of the real and daily threats of violence, imprisonment, racism, transphobia, and death, they dance, joyfully, beautifully.
0: Sometimes we are tempted to give a kind of reductive description of resurrection like saying every flower blooming is resurrection. But I don't think we're doing it justice if we take that path. Yes, resurrection is possible everywhere. In the matrix of time, the power that raises the dead knows no boundaries. But it is not reducible to the things we think are good, beautiful and life giving. Rather, its truth is what animates these possibilities in the first place. Some theologians and philosophers call such animating, enduring forces events, a very fancy word. The philosopher John Caputo writes, An event is not precisely what happens, but something going on in what happens, something that is being expressed or realized or given shape in what happens. It is not something present, but something seeking to make itself felt in what is present. If time is contingent, variable, malleable, the revelation of Easter is the constant. An event that is with us calls to us in every moment. Again, Caputo describes an event as the unconditional that is astir in the conditional. So I say that the blooming flower is not resurrection itself, but we can look at it and give testimony to the unconditional that is seeking to make itself felt in what is present. This distinction might seem like annoying semantics, but it matters a great deal. Because while it might be easy to say that every good thing is resurrection, it's a dangerous and a harmful thing when some try to make that claim upon tragedy, injustice, and death, to reduce such things to something quote-unquote good. I don't believe such claims, but I do believe that we can look upon tragedy, injustice, even death, and testify. In John's Easter account, I find myself thinking about Mary and the disciples' grief. It is hard to describe the kind of trauma that they had just endured, to see someone they both loved and had faith in, brutally and unjustly executed in such a graphically savage way. We might want to think that the moment they saw Jesus, all of that went away. But such a thing is probably not like having your wallet returned to you after you lost it on the train, you know, where your anxiety immediately dissipates with relief. Again, we cannot reduce tragedy to what good might come from it. Real grief doesn't work like that. Trauma doesn't work like that. Even after the resurrection, the world was not made suddenly new all the things that conspired to murder Christ, they didn't go anywhere. The newly formed band of religious outsiders, they would go on to live difficult lives. Many of them would be brutally executed as Jesus was. But as they experienced this truly miraculous thing on Easter morning, what did change for them was that they began to testify, to speak a truth that permeates all of time. They would give voice to this event that provokes and promises, that calls back to all that has come before, that says death does not have the final word. One thing we know from every science fiction book or movie is that traveling through time is a precarious journey. Unless we carry along with us something unconditional, we will only see despair rising on the horizon of past and future, paralyzing us in the present. On Easter, we are reminded that we must testify, or more plainly, we shout over every name lost, over every grief endured, we scream into the past, present, and future face of death. You will not win, for the tomb lies empty yesterday, today and tomorrow.
1: I feel like I'm always looking ahead to the next big thing in life. I regularly find myself daydreaming about the future day after I've completed so-and-so, achieved this and that, and then I think, I'll feel like I've finally arrived. I'll finally be home. The place where I'm meant to be. In many ways, it's always home that we're aspiring toward, isn't it? Maybe counterintuitively, it's our yearning for a home that draws us out from wherever our current home may be into the unknown. As youths, we leave our childhood homes to find our adult homes. As young adults, fresh out of college or in mid career, we leave that job that isn't serving our purpose anymore to find a better fit in our personal lives. We break up and break it off with people who once felt like nothing other than home to us. As communities, we are challenged to change our social policies, systems, and laws when we finally see their systemic flaws, and we aren't willing to accept those inadequate homes for ourselves or our neighbors anymore. The truth is, our lives are largely a journey of leaving the homes of our past so that we can find the homes that we need for our future. When I think about where I am now, it's in no small way because of the homes I've for one reason or another left behind and the lessons I've learned along the way. And yet, here we are on Easter morning. It's the end of the story. What we might think should be the big moment of arrival. Jesus was crucified and now Jesus is resurrected. The end. Jesus is home. But that's not really the story we get. Instead, when Mary encounters him in the garden and reaches out to touch him, he says to her, Do not hold on to me. Then Jesus tells Mary she has yet a journey to complete. Go tell the other, spread the word, keep going. You're not home free yet, he seems to say. Frankly, this is sort of a frustrating moment for me. Like, wouldn't it be nice for Mary to just get to hang out and enjoy this for a moment? Or at least have a moment to process? I mean, dude was dead, and now he's standing there alive, for goodness sake. But that's not what Jesus asks of her. Look how far we've come, he seems to say. Look at what we've done together. Gathered disciples. Healed the sick. Made a stir across the land. Keep it up. Keep going. Go and tell the others. She rushes on to tell them, and the good news takes on a whole new life because she carried it forward. So... Here we are, more than a year into a pandemic that has changed every aspect of our lives. But with vaccines becoming more available, with more knowledge about the virus, it seems an end might be in sight. And yet, isn't this moment like that of Jesus' resurrection? Not the end of the story, not a homecoming, but instead a time when it is up to us to take what we've seen, the disappointment, the dismay the pain of it, and let it be a turning point for the rest of our story? We've seen so clearly over the past year just how many things weren't working before. It's become absolutely undeniable how inextricably tied all of our lives really are. We now know that we have to take care of one another, love our neighbors as ourselves in real, tangible, sometimes sacrificial, and sometimes risky ways. Isn't this moment one where we have to look back on all the deaths, literal and metaphorical, of this past year and reckon with how they've changed us? Ask ourselves, what have they revealed? Wonder, what new form of life are they pointing us toward? There's no single answer to these questions and we can't answer them alone. But if we are going to build the home that we need in this moment, the home for our immediate and long-term future then these questions have to shape it. Because when we say home, I don't think we really mean a single place. Maybe what we mean is the ability to recognize home, to build home in the moment. No, maybe what we mean is the ability to carry home with us, in us, on the journey. To carry the memory of cherished homes past, the lessons learned there, to hold gratitude for our present homes long struggled for and notice the daily graces that they offer, and yet also look with deep expectation and longing for the home still yet to come. The home we carry with us holds all of this within it, nothing lost, all to be gained. Jesus has died, Jesus has risen, Jesus will come again, all three true at once, death to resurrection, breaking open everything we thought we knew was possible. God, our universal home, holding and somehow tending to it all. All of it. Jesus has died, Jesus has risen, Jesus will come again, all home in some way. The once impossible, now possible. Our eternal home. Amen.
0: As we bring things to an end, we will have a moment of prayer and reflection. In this time of transition in our lives, let us lift up prayers for what is to come. What do we hope for? What truths do we want to carry with us? What work can we commit to? Thank you for taking this Easter journey with us today. If you are with us uh, on this Easter walk in Chicago, we will gather to take communion together and bless one another. If you are listening on your own in some faraway place, we say go in peace to find home where you have been, where you are right now, and wherever you will one day be. Amen.